Welcome everyone to the very latest Bolt from the Blue podcast, and we have got some things to talk to you about. Uh, it is Wembley, Wembley, yeah. where the famous city, and we go to Wembley. Wembley. It is six forty-nine a.m. here in South Korea, and obviously that means it must be what ten to ten at night in the UK, where the other lands are. We actually had. Uh, uh, Bernard, who w- was at, at this game, uh, of course, we're talking about uh, Man City against Southampton, or that should really be the other way around uh, down there at St. Mary's. So uh, let's see who we've got in tonight. Let's take a roll call. Do we have Savage Colin? Uh, we do, yes. Good evening. Good evening indeed to you. Do we have Deneen Charles Bernard? Yes, I'm still I'm still awake, guys. I must admit, I've I've been dozing off all day today. But yes, I am here. I'm awake. I'm with you. And do we have a bubbles ray? Oh, I I think you heard me already. Well, thank you very much for coming on, guys. Well, you know, as we all know, uh, Southampton are a pain in our backside. They really, really are. And I think they were for the first half as well. To be honest with you. Let's go straight over to uh, Bernard because uh, you were there. Now I, I actually watched your your uh, your your channel, um, uh, Bernard, and um, yeah. I, I do I, I do sometimes do a little bit of research. And uh, you were talking about the um, talking about the atmosphere at St Mary's and uh, the fact that um, on the one hand they can bang the drum, but on the other hand, when they go two goals down, they they all get up and leave. Yeah, it was quite. It was quite funny. Obviously, they have the umpire band before it starts, don't we? They do the uh, when that 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 dirge, that dirge, this thing that does liven up eventually, but it takes about an hour to liven up. And of course, the fans were good, but they use the backboards. They use the backboards of the stand. You probably guys that have been there, they, and they just probably about forty or fifty on the back row, and they just sound like big drums. They just use them to obviously help the atmosphere, and sometimes the banging's louder than the singing. But yeah, they were great, but. There was two. There was two moments in the game, about thirty-three minutes, when there was an injury to one of their players, and it was literally like the City fans just started singing as a fire drill. It was th- I mean, even City don't do that at the Etihad. At least we wait till about thirty-five minutes, but it's about thirty-two minutes, and, and the oldies, you know, they're all going down the stairs, deserting, and and then obviously what once that uh, third goal went on seventy-two minutes, it was just a. And started to be a mass exodus, and obviously they've been calling us rubbish fans or words to that effect for most of the game. So obviously they got, they got plenty back as well. Well, it's interesting. Core from the city fans of your support is um, what should we say? Not very good. Well, they started it. He said they started singing that, so we just we just <laughs> get back. And obviously the 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 chorus of when the Saints go marching out that was quite funny when we started <laughs> singing that. <laughs> Well, uh, guys, it's interesting because um, uh, much was made before the game about how Liverpool are still on the quadruple and Man City have only got the treble to aim at. But I'll tell you, there's a pop quiz quiz question here for you. It's um, a little bit of a tricky one, but Ralph Hasenhutl, who looked like he was, you know, he had taken a break from somebody's wedding uh, with that, uh, (laughs) the the, the waistcoat and everything. Um, He was actually on for... Uh, a kind of a modest treble himself before the game started. Uh, uh, can anyone guess what that was? We haven't scored against them this season in two games. Well, what I've got here is <laughs> it would have been 
three games against Man City in one season without a de- without a defeat, which is close enough, I guess. Yeah, um, I'll do. That's close for that one. <laughs> that, that was the little treble he was aiming for. Gladly, uh, it, it didn't come off. But um, Colin, talk to us a little bit about the first half. Uh, well, it was a funny first. Well, funny first half. We started off really well. I mean, it was a real thunder and uh, you know thunder and lightning uh, game to start off with. Um, I, you know, it, I don't think we were at our normal poised, controlled self. I think uh, you know the passing wasn't great, but um, but both teams looked well up for it. I mean, it was a, a good cup tie, wasn't it? Uh, and really, um, you know, we, we should have killed it um, with with our goal, which was, I think, what, the 12th minute, 12th, 13th yeah. minute. Yeah, and uh, we, um, Kevin De Bruyne threw a ball, uh, you know, one of his typical uh, curveball passes in from the, uh, from our right. Uh the, the the Southampton defender Stevens, who'd come in from the normal first choice Bednarek, made a complete hash of it. Uh, it fell to Gundogan, who squared it to Sterling, who probably because he didn't have time to think, um, lashed it home. I think it got a bit of a deflection. It was going to the goalkeeper, but they all count, don't they? So um, you know, one nil up, uh, which is the first. Was it? Yeah, is it the first goal we? No, it's not the first goal we scored again. Southampton, we scored there in the league game, didn't we? Yeah, um, yeah. But you know, first time we've been ahead against Southampton this season, mm-hmm. so you know it was looking quite good. And uh, but then we kind of forgot, almost as though we switched off. We thought the game was won, and we became very sloppy. We were slow in the tackle. We our passing was was poor. Um, the movement wasn't there. And um, the, the longer that went on, the 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 more it looked likely Southampton would um, get something. There's a particular reason why Man City might have taken their foot off the the gas having scored the first goal. Does anybody know the answer to that one? Because City have played 29 games this season. We've never lost once we scored first. Exactly. And uh, this this was looking dicey, but it wasn't any different. Um, let's just go over to the uh, the lineup. Um, how many? I, I know that uh, Bernard, you like to predict predict your lineup. So, um, how many did you get right this time? Well, I put eight in my thing, but it was actually seven because I missed I missed Ake. I had I had Ake in as well, so I only got I only actually got seven. Pretty much um, the forwards were fine, and I, I thought I, I certainly thought Ferner would play. To be honest with you, I was a bit disappointed he didn't. I was surprised to see Rodri in there, but. Uh, yeah, it was the sort of defence uh, stuff that sort of ruined me. But uh, say, I, I had Aki in, and I didn't have Laporte playing, which probably would have been a good thing based on how he played. In all fairness, I think I think Pet wants to listen to me. He should have had Aki in there instead. But uh, yeah, I got seven right. Not not great. Not a great week for getting them right. Yeah, let's just uh, very quickly go through them there. So it was Zach Stefan, um, possibly a game uh, a game not a game of two halves, but. Um, Certainly saw both sides of Zach Steffen in this game. Yeah, uh, yeah. Kyle Walker, uh, nobody goes past Kyle Walker. Uh, Stones, uh, Laporte, we're going to talk about that guy. Um, <laughs> uh, Cancelo, Rodri, De Bruyne, Gundogan, Jesus, who we haven't seen for a while, Sterling, Grealish, 
And then our substitutes were uh, Scotty Carson, Nathan Ake, Zinchenko, Bernardo, uh, Ferna, uh, Mares, and Foden, uh, two guys to have on the bench when you need them. Um, but uh, you described uh, actually calling that uh, that the the first goal actually it was on the twelfth minute. But am I wrong? Is my memory wrong that um, Sterling had a few bites at the cherry before that? Uh, yeah, um, you know we had chances before that, didn't we? Sterling uh, had a couple. I can't. I just can't remember. I've not had a chance to watch the game back. So um, Ray's just been watching it. Yeah, Ray'll tell you. He had a, he had, he had, he was put through once on the left, and he just sliced it wide. Oh yes, that was quite early on, wasn't it? Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It was pretty poor. I mean, it wasn't a great you know, shot. Probably could have done and, better with that. I think, I think Bernard said he had about five half decent opportunities, and he just, you know, messed messed up. He messed one up in the second half. I remember when he just dawdled on it for too long, trying to take more and more players on. And it's one of those I always say, if you, you know, if you, if you do all this tiptoeing around and you and you score, fantastic! It, it looks a great goal, but when you get it wrong, you, people just say, well, "Why didn't you just hit it?" What you know, you you had your chance to shoot. Why do you need to take the extra man on? Um, so yeah, yeah you know, it, it's but it's. I, I was talking to Bernard before the the show, and I said it, it's a, something that's plagued us for years. Even when we were brilliant a few years ago, is this clinical finishing and it'll. Come back to Haunters. We saw it against Palace. We had six very presentable, good opportunities to score. We didn't score a single one, you know. And again, we, we we're giving up chances. And you'll play you'll play a team that's really good, and you're going to get two chances in the game if you look two half chances. And if you can't score from them, then you're going to be struggling, you know. And look, next month we play Liverpool twice, and I don't think we're going to get tons of chances. Liverpool are a half decent side. Um, and we've got to learn to be clinical. And I, and I don't know. You, I don't think you can teach players at a, at a certain age how to be more clinical. How can you teach Raheem Sterling at the age of what, 26, 27, how to be more clinical? I think you've either got it or you haven't. And sadly, yeah. the young lad hasn't got it. Yeah, sandwiched in between these uh, the, the, the prior chances and the actual first goal, there there was a, a great. Well, I said great. A, a pretty clear-cut chance for Southampton. Now, and just before um, we talk about that, I just want to very, very, very quickly go through their lineup. We've got so Fraser Forster, who um, we were expecting uh, to do a bit of time wasting. Actually, it turned out to be Zach Steffen that did the time wasting. Um, Livramento, Stephen, Sally Sue, Walker, Peters, who used to play for Tottenham, Romeo, that guy that looks like an extra from Mad Max. Um, you had. Uh, Ward Prowse, apparently, according to Pep, the greatest striker of a dead ball in their world football. It's a you know, typical sort of um, st- overstatement by Pep. And then you had uh, two Armstrongs. Um, obviously, uh, uh, they're, they, they must be brothers or something. I don't know. Uh, El Yunusi, hard name to pronounce that one. And then there's my long-lost co- co- cousin, Shane Long, there uh, playing for them. But... Uh, I just wanted to talk just a little bit about this chance that uh, they had. I think it was at 10 minutes, I think. And yeah, uh, he hit the yeah. post. Anybody remember this one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell us about this one, um, Ray. Well, they, they got the ball in midfield. Um, I can't remember. Was it Ellen Newsy? I can't remember who actually, or Libramento, whoever it was. It was Romeo, it, I think. Rome, not, 
with the two crunching tackles. I think Romeo put the ball through, but prior to that, there were two crunching tackles, 50-50 balls that a Southampton player won, won both tackles. And actually, they probably weren't even 50-50. They were uh, probably mm. in City's favour. Um, but he, he stuck that boot in and he went through the City players, which is, you know, you'd, you'd like to think we had a bit of steel about us, but not on that occasion. And then the ball got past to Romeo. He slipped Alan Armstrong through um, and he scuffed his shot. He didn't get it right, but it was enough to get past Zach Steffen. I don't know what Zach Steffen was doing. Um, and he just watched it and it just bobbled along and hit the post and we, we got it away. In, in all honesty, we should have been 1-0 down there. Um, you know, we've been lucky quite a few times where teams haven't been clinical against us. And, you know, I'm sure we'd, we'd look around and say, you know, you could pick... Harry Kane would have scored there, or Mane or Salah would have scored there. You know, top-class strikers would have scored, but sadly for, for Southampton and lucky for us, Armstrong fluffed his chance. Whatever got to him, the pressure or whatever, um, and we, we got away with that. Yeah, exactly. And um, it, it it was... Uh, we were very lucky to just to, to score four minutes later. And, and as, as the guys mentioned there, very sorry for well, not really sorry, but a, a little, little bit of sympathy for Jack Stevens because he really made a mess of De Bruyne's uh, cross by just diverting that to to Gabby Jay and squared it to Sterling, and this time Sterling made no mistake. But um, so after the uh, the chance from um, from Mr. Armstrong, I think it was on the uh, on the ten minute mark. After, sorry, after our goal. Um, Something else. Uh, I'm just looking my looking at my notes. Here. Yes, yeah, it, was the, it was the penalty appeal, wasn't it? Because um, uh, 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 Gabby Jesus went down when when in the area. Does anyone remember that one? No, no takers. This it wasn't was, a penalty anyway, whatever it was. It wasn't a penalty. <laughs> it was a bit, of a bit of a robust challenge, wasn't it? Two players yeah. Yeah. kind of it was, going it, into each other. It was just typical Gabby throwing him. You know, obviously, I, I won't say the same about what happened in the second half, but that certainly certainly wasn't a penalty in the first half. And uh, I think what was what was interesting about this for me anyway is, of course, the referee didn't give it. The referee was Mike Dean. And sadly, guys, Mike Dean is going to be retiring... Uh, at the end of this season, apparently he wants to go full time into the VAR studio. Now, Colin, does that give you any, you know, sad, sentimental feelings? <laughs> well, um, I don't know. I, I think Mike uh, Dean is okay, to be honest. Because um, yeah, it's crap for both teams, so it doesn't make any difference, does it, really? I, I, I think. He's he's one of the referees. He, he has an occasional blip, I would say, but he's one of the referees. If I see him on the, you know, the team sheet, I, I'm not that worried. Uh, there are far worse than Mike Dean. Yeah. Yes, theatrical fellow, isn't he? I I love the sort of like when they his facial gestures uh, from time. Does he have any? Does uh, just just a, a little a sort of not not exactly a tribute to Mike Dean, but. Um, when you think of Mike Dean, were there have, have there been any moments that particularly involving City that you remember that Mike Dean was involved in? Well, uh, of course, there's one uh, memorable one. 
in 2012, a certain game. Okay. Just expand uh, on that for those who are not following you. Sorry? Can you expand on that for those who are not exactly following you? Yeah, well, there was a game we played against QPR, which re really was a bit meaningless. I'm just talking about the, the actual <laughs> the in, the incident itself. I, I have a story about that from one of my trusted sources. Oh, great. Um, so when obviously when we scored, when Aguero scored, the place just erupted, including the, the sidelines. Uh, and Mancini, if you remember, ran on the pitch. Uh, now, I think the, the, the fourth official, I just, um, oh, what's his name? Um, Neil Swarbrick, I think it was, apparently radioed to Mike Dean. Uh, he said, Mike, um, you know, the, the city managers were on the pitch. What what shall I do? And I'm not sure I should say this, but Mike Dean's response was apparently. Um, <laughs> oh. Fucking hell. Uh, what the fucking hell just happened here? Oh, fuck it, Neil. <laughs> I'm yeah, sure many people wanted to say that. Yes, yes. Any time that you require to use any kind of agricultural language, uh, just send a message to Ray. He's got no compulsion about that whatsoever. <laughs> um, but uh, perhaps, Ray, you can tell us about the 27th minute because Gundawan hit the post. Yeah, it was. Uh, we had. Um, Conchella doing his stuff on the left wing, uh, drop of the shoulder. He uh, created that bit of space and he crossed it in uh, with his left foot, um, with his wrong foot because he's right-footed. And at the near post, Gundogan was coming in and um, it was probably, what, three or four yards out? And he managed to slam it against the post. And he sh really should have scored. You know, commentators were saying, you know, last year he'd have scored that. Uh, I don't know. He's, he's not been playing much actually recently, but I think he's one of our better finishers. And that probably you think if we'd gone up two nil, that should be game over from there. And as I, as I said, he should have scored it. He hit the. He, I don't know how he missed that. Really, he hit the post, and it bounced out, and uh, Southampton uh, got away with it again. Indeed, uh, City were playing well in patches. We had a, a kind of a. Uh, a Rodri rocket on 36 minutes, but unfortunately it just swerved a little bit too too far. But let's go to Bernard for the next talking point. And <laughs> this is something I've never seen before. Uh, perhaps you have, or perhaps uh, uh, Colin has seen this before, but Cancelo, Cancelo took out two players with the same tackle. Did you see that? <laughs> I, I saw it in the game. I got, it was some of those things you think, what the hell happened? And they didn't replay it on the screen, so I've not had a chance to watch it back, but it, it seemed very funny reading the reports on it. I don't know you guys have watched it back or watched it, replays of it. You can probably tell me more about it. Yeah, he got he got the, he got the runner as well as the man with the ball, the same tackle. <laughs> it was just absolutely fabulous. I've never seen that before, even from the likes of, um, you know, Tony Adams and all of those great past. But um, that was on the 39th minute. Um, I, again, I thought, you know, Southampton were flickering uh, into life. Uh, but I was quite comfortable that uh, we'd finish uh, finish it off. Uh, but, but, Armstrong did have another chance, actually, before. Yeah. Um, like you well, say, flipping it out. Yeah, he's, he, 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 he has wide, no wide, high and wide, I think we call it, don't we? That's it, and not very handsome. He was, he was on the <laughs> edge of the box. And there's another good bit of play from Southampton. 
I mean, what they were really good at uh, was the pressing. They were working hard. We were giving the ball away. Um, <laughs> and they deserved, you know, they deserved their opportunities. And once again, once again, they're showing other teams who turn up against City and are ultra-defensive with the low block, uh, as I'm sure our uh, opponents will be in the FA Cup semi-final with that low block. And But it's, it's, they're showing teams how you can play against City. Palace try, Southampton try and and try and be positive. They know they're going to be, they're going to have the backs to the wall at times and be under a lot of pressure. But they've got a, a game plan. I know, and, and I keep saying it, other teams should be trying to do something similar because if you don't go at City, most times you'll get beat. And it's it's actually just a matter of uh, the question is how many how many goals will City score? You've got to give it a go. You've got to put City under pressure. You've got to put us, um, get us a bit out of our comfort zone as often as possible. And Southampton did that. So that Armstrong chance was was another one. And in that first half, they probably had four half chances. Or, you know, um, Armstrong's early one was a proper chance. But probably had three or four decent uh, half chances or opportunities. Uh, on Does another day, I scored a couple. Ray, I'm Ray, the guy. Is it anyone, can I explain to me why... It's it's a it's a, a win match that you get to Wembley, and yet he played Long and Armstrong up front, and they're not his two main guys. Are these two main guys are on the bench that has been playing? What, in the I, what I think he was doing was going to use because Shane Long does not score goals. He's got a lot of pace, and I think that's what Shane Long was there for because he's got more pace than our defenders apart from Carl Walker. So in in a foot race with Stones. He'll beat him. Laporte, he'll walk past him. And Cancelo, no problem. So I think um, Shane Long was there to do that hard work in that first half, especially up to about 60 minutes. Then you bring your more talented guys on. Hopefully City are a bit tired. The game's still in the balance. You get your chances then. And I just think that's what he was doing. He's running these players into the ground who are going to put a lot of effort in. And as I said, uh, um, Shane Long's got that pace. He's just he doesn't know what to do with the ball when he's got it. Mm-hmm, indeed, and uh, I, I'm going to officially give uh, Bernard uh, permission to go back to saying Laporte instead of Laporte. No, I'm Laporte now, mate. I'm, I'm sorted now. I'm sorted now. It's, it's, no, no, no. It's... <laughs> but it was an open door against Southampton. So when he's an open door, you call him Laporte. <laughs> no, I've sort of nine, nine times out of ten, I say Laporte now. What are what are right, guys? Yeah, <laughs> if we can get you saying Gundogan instead of Gundogan, then we're really, we're really say, I, was, I used to say Dim, mate. So it's far better what I say now than what I used to say. Anyway, <laughs> the reason for that, of course, is that we were uh, we were quite comfortable thinking we were heading into a one nil halftime lead, and then in. Uh, then there was um, a bit of uh, a bit of action between uh, Mr. Laporte and uh, Zach Steffen, and people people were kind of calling people were kind of uh, uh, arguing the toss about who was really at fault for it. What would you say? Um, That's you, Colin. Well, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because um, again, we, we'd shown a lack of bite in the tackle. I mean. A, I don't want, don't want us to turn into Wimbledon Mark too, but um, it's worrying the number of times Bernard said earlier that Southampton players won 50-50 tackles rather too easily, and and um, the, the Southampton player got through the back line. He was 
kind of on, on the right side of the area, inside the box, Stefan looked favourite to get to it, but he sort of came out, stopped about a yard short of the Southampton player, and then um, hesitated. Uh, now, now we all, you know, we've all seen our, our good friend, uh, Mr. Edison, come flying out and throw himself at the ball and, you know, can take take anyone down um, in range. Um, he's done it rather too often. Maybe Stefan suddenly thought, perhaps I shouldn't do this. Uh, but he, for me, he was favourite to get that ball easily. Um, so, um, but obviously thought better of it and he sort of took a step back. Uh, and the Southampton player had then time to play the ball, uh, not at the goal, but across the face of the area. And the port sort of, kind of feebly stuck out a bit of a leg, which was really poor body shape and positioning and really poor reaction. And the ball flew off him into the net. So I, I know I called Laporte the new Otamendi the other week, but mm. perhaps he's the new Richard Dunn. Last kick of the first half, and we've given away a goal through our... Um, We've been generally sloppy, um, you know, for the second period of that first half. And, you know, two bits of real sloppiness had, had given Southampton a goal, which you could say they deserved, but mm. they shouldn't have had it. <laughs> yeah, no, it was interesting. Um, there was a cut to uh, Pep on the sideline, Pep looking resplendent all in all in black with those... Uh, He's, he he's, he 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 likes to wear these um, kind of they look like golf shoes with a stacked heel to make him look a bit taller. But um, the best way I can describe it is kind of like drunken semaphore. He looked like an air traffic controller. The arms going all over the place. Um, so um, I would imagine they were in for a bit of a bollocking at halftime, and uh, there it was, uh, one one and. Uh, you were fearing, you were fearing about this game, weren't you, Ray? I know you would have been. Why, why, mate? You, even you told us at the top of the show, you know, you told us when City score first, they win. Obviously, there's going to be a time when um, that, that doesn't happen, but you've got to have confidence. And uh, you'd like to think City, City have got enough moments of quality um, to, uh, you know, those magic moments. Um, <laughs> so I thought someone might <laughs> burst into song there. Magic moments. <laughs> moments. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Uh, um, but, but that's what City, City had, I think, too much for me at the moment. Where we we have these moments of magic uh, that maybe Bernie won't sing now. These moments of magic, where you know we will cre create something wonderful and some great bit of play, but we're not controlling the games like like we used to. Um, so it, you know th that's what you hope for, and you know we had a, we had a couple of them in the second half. Mm -hmm. uh, Bernie, would you say this is a fair comment? Uh, the Guardian says that um, Southampton dominated the latter part of the first half and deservedly equalised? No, I wouldn't say they dominated. I thought it was pretty 50-50. I think they got to give a good go. I wouldn't say they dominated by any means. I think both teams uh, played some nice football and both teams made some stupid mistakes. Uh, cities, uh, before I forget, I mean, our percentage completion passes was one of the lowest I've seen, certainly this season. About eighty-two percent. It's usually up in the high eighties, nineties. Uh, uh, it was it was pretty awful. 
and and Southampton were making silly mistakes at the back as well. But yeah, both teams, you know, as I said, Southampton were physically better. They were getting stuck in. They were winning the 50-50s. Uh, they were playing very well. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go as far as to say what, what obviously the paper said there. I, I think probably fair enough, one-one uh, at half time. But it, it was uh, it's one of those games where so what? You know, if you know we've gone in one nil. Uh, yeah, perhaps we didn't deserve it, but that, that's football. But uh, yeah, I think they're pushing it, pushing it a bit there. I think, I, I think overall, yes, but they, they didn't dominate it by any means. Yeah, I, I, I just like how dyed in the wool blue uh, Bernard is. It's pretty hard to get any compliments for the opposition out of him. I kind of like that. Uh, <laughs> guys, uh, there was a penalty city on the sixty-first minute, but uh, just before we talk about that. Any comments at all about um, the first uh, 15, 16 minutes of the uh, of the second half before the penalty? Or, or, or was it just more of the same um, as, as in the last sort of 10 minutes of the first half? For me, it was more of the same. Um, I put out a sarcastic tweet, said the rocket pep game at half-time has obviously had an impact because our passing has been much crisper and more accurate. And we were just as bad for that first mm few minutes of the second half, I thought. Nothing had, much had changed. Um, I wonder, Colin, if, um, as someone suggested on Twitter, uh, that they were prepared to bet quite a lot of money that it would have been one of those um, sit down, shut up, nobody talk moments <laughs> um, um, from Pep, like he did in the, in the, in the, uh, in the documentary that we watched. <laughs> I think it could well have been. But uh, I, I, th- I think that, that there's not an awful lot to talk about in that 15 minutes, but we do have something to talk about now, Ray, and that's the... Sorry, the... Sorry, before, I, before we go, can I just yeah. jump in here? Because I yeah. watched um, a, a Match of the Day special, Top 10 Comebacks. Uh-huh. And Gary Becker was hosting with Micah Richards and Alan Shearer. And uh, they were talking about like managerial roastings at half-time. And... and um, Gary Lineker told the story. Um, where was he? Was he at Spurs or someone? And um, I can't remember who the manager was. Um, oh gosh, it saves me. But basically, they had a, an absolutely awful first half, and they all went into the dressing room expecting the manager to come in absolutely furious. And um, Apparently, the, whoever it was, it, the, the name escapes me at the moment. It wasn't, uh, it was a guy who'd been number two and took over as number one. I can't remember. And, and the guy came in and quietly said, well, lads, we're not all singing from the same hymn sheet here, are we? <laughs> and he said that just, they were just even worse in the second half. You know, the, the, the players were expecting a roast. And I, and I would imagine our players would have been expecting a bit of a roasting from Pep. But as you say. You might just have gone in and. Uh, I think. I yeah, I, there's a bit of debate about who actually gives the best, uh, who gives the the fiercest, um, you know, halftime roasting. A lot of people talked about Ferguson and his hairdryer, but I've I've seen a few videos on the uh, on YouTube of Neil Warnock. And, <laughs> well, let let me tell you something, guys. I mean, they 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 normally have you know the the subtitles at the bottom. And like almost every word was bleeped out. I mean, this guy is going absolutely berserk. So um, I would say uh, Neil Warnock could have been would have been one of those managers that you wouldn't have liked to um, you wouldn't like to you know meet down a dark alley. <laughs> 
But um, yeah, there we go. Uh, Sixty. I'm, I'm I'm just trying to. Um, uh, what's his name? Um, Collins. Think about Gary Lineker. Peter Shreves. Was that it? Peter Shreves. It was. Yes. Thank you. Peter Shreves. But who was the number two to who? Uh, Terry Vegetables. Terry yeah, Terry Venables had gone to be a director and Peter Shreves took over. Right. Uh, Gary Lineker yeah. said he was a nice man and a good coach, but, you know, there, there wasn't a fire in his belly to, to you know, <laughs> to give him a kick in after a poor first half yeah. performance. Yeah, I wouldn't have fancied um, actually being in, you know, after a bad performance at halftime. Uh, let, let's have, let's just, um, let's have a little fun just for a minute, guys. Um, managers that you would not like to meet at halftime after a terrible first half performance. I'm I'm going to go for Mancini. I think he could have went, you know. Oh yeah. Ballistic. Uh, anybody else that you wouldn't have fancied uh, meeting uh, at halftime? Sunes. Sunes. Oh, oh my gosh! Yeah, he would take. He wasn't. He actually threatened to take two players outside and fight them at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and. Uh, by the way, looking at Graham, Graham Sunis, who had like heart transplant like yeah. ten or twenty years ago, he yeah, probably had heart surgery. Yeah, he looks like he still could, you know. Um, mm. Oh, you wouldn't mess with. I don't think you'd mess with him now. No, even. you certainly wouldn't. You certainly wouldn't. I think another one that comes to mind is uh, apparently Roy Keane just came in and sat down and just glared at all of them in the eye. Didn't need to say anything. Um, and that just put big, the, big Sam, big, big Sam might make a bit of noise. Uh, Sam Allardyce, yeah, yeah, uh, that that was a funny one. I remember Jose Mourinho being asked, uh, which, Jose, Jose, he's not Mexican. Jose, Jose, sorry, um, but I, I remember them them having a bit of fun with Jose in a press conference, asking um, which manager could beat him in a fight, and he said. Sam Allardyce, he'd break me in half. <laughs> uh, that's quite funny, but um, all right. Well, we we um, unless, unless you've got any other. What about Cluffy? What about Cluffy? Oh, Brian Clough. Oh, well, Clough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you've read the story about him knocking out Roy Keane on the bus. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I actually read this story and uh, from from Roy Keane's uh, autobiography because it turned up late and. Um, and had a disrespectful uh, attitude on him, and he actually punched him out, literally knocked him out. So um, maybe that's where uh, King got a bit of his uh, his temperament from as a manager. But uh, yeah, you wouldn't have liked to mess with him. <laughs> but let, let's not put this off anymore, guys. Let's go to the penalty, and and uh, we'll we'll just ask Ray a little bit about that because that was an interesting one. You know, the ball was put through to, to Gabriel Jesus on the right side of the penalty area. He's probably a yard inside the box. If that, I can't remember the defender's name now who fouled him. Salisu. 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 Salisu had been, you know, um, was it some um, fans have been singing his praises. Um, I think uh, one of your friends, uh, a United fan, had been singing his praises as well. Mr. I think was it Mr. Goldbridge. Uh, and others have been saying, oh, he's, he's not put a f-. That was it. Goldberg said he's not put a foot wrong. He's had a 100% success rate for uh, tackles or passes or whatever. He's done, in the first half, he's done now wrong. And then he gives that penalty away. And it was a really poor penalty to give away because Gabriel Jesus is going nowhere. He's going down the the uh, edge of the penalty area. It's, he's, it's not a dangerous position. And Sally Sue kind of puts his 
leg in then. And it's a 50-50 where Gabriel Jesus is he's happy for that little bit of um, contact or, you know, or getting in the way of him. And he's just he's happy to go over. And some people will say it's, it's a good, you know, professional uh, bit of play to win the penalty. But it was just it was a poor bit of play from Salah. So you just stand up. There's no need, you know, to, to, to try and get a ball that you don't need to get. Just keep him out. And push him down the line, and he's got. He had nowhere to go. It was. I just think it was a really poor penalty to give away. And then um, KDB had a chat with Sterling. Uh, I think <laughs> Sterling went up to him and asked him, uh, "You know, do you want to take this?" Uh, or, or, or I think basically saying, "Are you sure you want to take this?" I, I'm happy to do it. And Kev, Kevin said, "No, I'll take it." His record, I think, before this was six in eight. I think he had six successful penalties out of eight, which is pretty decent. He put it right in the corner. And Fraser Foster, he's such a tall keeper. He he actually made it, but he just dived over the ball. But he, you know, but it was it was a good penalty. If it wasn't so firmly hit uh, in that corner, maybe Foster would have saved it. But you know, City were up two one, and at that point, you think, yeah, we're probably going to go on to win this. Yeah, Bernard, what do you think? Were you were you glad that uh, KDB won the verbal battle over Sterling for that penalty, or what? Did you... I, I think I think the actual words were "piss off, Raheem." I think he said to him when he, when he approached him to take the ball. I think they were the uh, quoted words that I've, that I've seen. But uh, yeah, because I mean, obviously I was looking around for Mares when we got the penalty, and I didn't think. Oh, I thought he might God. bring Mares on for that, just just for yeah. <laughs> Well, he did, but a bit later, about a minute later, didn't he? But uh, that's that's another thing. But uh, yeah, as as we talked off air about, uh, we remember the old Niall Quinn save against uh, Saunders, uh, Derby County at Main Road. He went down in stages, Niall Quinn, to save it, and uh, obviously Forster did a similar thing. He went down in stages. Unfortunately, he wasn't quite as nimble as old Niall Quinn, so he didn't manage to get down to it. But uh, uh, very chuffed when that went in, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I remember people. People were talking about uh, who was the, who was the the player we had before Ederson that they called the hologram. <laughs> Bravo, Claudio, Claudio Bravo. I remember there were some somebody some wag on Twitter had said, "Where does Bravo rank in our list of all time goalkeepers?" And people were, you know, throwing out suggestions, and some wag came on and said. Niall Quinn was a better goalkeeper than Bravo. <laughs> um, do, you, do you have any other... Nigel Gleghorn was a better goalkeeper than, uh, than uh, Bravo. <laughs> do, you remember, do you remember any other instances where City outfield players have played in goal apart from Quinney? Walker. Gleghorn. Clark Hal Walker. Um, Mike, Mike Doyle. But Leicester City was there. Well, do I remember John Barrage? Maybe do, uh, no, he was a keeper actually. Oh, he was a keeper. That's wrong. That's wrong. He was a keeper. Anybody else? Is, or is that it? Um, yeah, I think we've tested you to the limit with that one. Um, <laughs> but uh, guys, it's interesting because we were talking about um, Gabriel Jesus. Now, um, I've just got. Um, a little website up in front of me and it's telling me about all the city players that are on international duty and there are one two three four five of city's players that you would normally expect to go on international duty who are not going gabriel right. gabriel jesus is one of them who are the others edison walker. Uh, no edison's going a uh, cow walker, walker hasn't been called up that's true 
Hasn't he been called up to replace Trent Alexander-Arnold? Um, that must be new news, actually. Well, it might not have been, but I'm just saying, Alexander, as usual, you know, Liverpool players, like United players in the past, uh, have got these mystery injuries uh, yeah, through I, their I, players. I, uh, I don't assume I don't assume Zinchenko's going anywhere, is he? No, he's he, he's not going because actually it's not necessarily his mental state or anything. It's because. Ukraine's World Cup qualifier against Scotland was postponed because of the Russian invasion. Yeah. So Zinchenko, uh, Diaz didn't go in. Diaz. Uh, no, apparently he is. Uh, Diaz, he's injured, man. Hold on a second. Let me see if I'm... Sorry, you're right. He's the first one. He was just off my screen a little bit. So we've yes. got Ruben Diaz, Kyle Walker, Zinchenko, Gabi Jesus, and uh, there are two more. KDB. Yes, yeah. Kevin De Bruyne hasn't been uh, suggested. And the reason here is this. Roberto Martinez has decided to only choose players with less than 50 caps for some reason. OK. And mm. so we've just got one more to go. Riyadh. Nope. I'll give you a hint. He hasn't played for his national team since June 2019. Fernandinho. Fernandinho. Is the well, he's I thought he's retired from his national team. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't uh, count. <laughs> did he? Did he actually make that announcement? Um, he's been retired. No, manager, manager did. Manager <laughs> <laughs> did. Okay. All right, guys. So uh, things began to change a little bit because a couple of minutes after the goal, we also obviously there was a total of five substitutions. But here, here were the key ones. Sixty-fourth minute, Riyad Mahrez and Phil Foden uh, come on. And uh, Gabby J and uh, another kind of lackluster performance for uh, for from Jack Grealish secured his exit. And uh, those were two pretty important substitutions, wouldn't you say, Colin? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't think either had played desperately well. Um, and I think that's the substitution most people were calling for, substitutions. Most people were calling for, and um, you know, you, you could argue we shouldn't have needed them, but um, very, yeah. very unusual, very unusual, very unusual. I don't remember Pep making many substitutions after we've gone ahead well, in a game. Do you well, guys? Perhaps, some, perhaps he was under the impression you could only make subs in the FA Cup. Mm. <laughs> but I mean, to, to have gone from, uh, I think that that was an annoying thing, wasn't it? I mean, he made the subs; they were the right subs. They had an impact, and I think most City fans were really aggrieved that he made five subs in an FA Cup game and made none in a in a Premier League game. We needed to win. Yeah. But let's not go down that route again, please. Mm -hmm. Guys, um, 71st minute, Zach Stefan book for time wasting. I didn't. Actually, <laughs> I didn't actually see this, uh, Bernard. Um, what was yeah, it? Basically, passing around what, or. Yeah, the lino had pointed to a certain place and he deliberately moved it about 10 yards further up. So I think that's why, he, not not because of the time particularly, just because he was ignoring the linesman who told him where to put it. Then again, Forster had done exactly the same, but obviously it only ever affects City keepers. Not, no, it doesn't affect anybody else. We, we only have to do it once. We've seen it with Edison. We only have to do it once or twice and we get booked and other keepers come to ours and get away with it or keepers against us. But that's just how it is. That's just that's just what happens. Um, sign of things to come, perhaps, uh, for later on, because um, 
couple of minutes after that, there was a good chance for Mares. Anyone remember this one? Because this was the uh, this was uh, uh, Cancelo to Sterling, who cuts inside, curls across towards uh, De, Bru- De Bruyne, and uh, the ball just went straight up in the air. Came came just dropped down on. Oh, yeah, he tried to volley it, didn't he? With his with his tried to volley it with his. He just went about twenty yards wide, didn't he? It was just <laughs> for Mares, which is very unusual, wasn't it, for him to not to get it on target at least or control it and hit it, you know. Yeah, was that the one that just trickled out for a? Yeah, yeah, yeah the corner flag thing. Yeah, and uh, immediately after that, a chance for uh, Adams again for Southampton. I don't really remember this one too well, but um, something the about... Adams one, the Chiadams yeah. one, where he was put through the middle, and really he should have scored. He hit it straight at Zach Stefan and he hit Zach Stefan's leg and went away. He really. Has to be putting that away, uh, and then the game. Obviously, the game would have been back on, uh, and it's quite interesting that Pep, after the game, called him Charlie Adams. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that was quite funny. Uh, he might as well call him Grizzly Adams. You know, uh, just to rub it in. But no, he really, he really should have scored. And I, it's, it's that composure. It's that you know, it's what people pay the big bucks for: quality finisher. Uh, you know, I'll say it again, Harry Kane. Son, um, Salah, you'd have expected them to finish that comfortably, uh, and that that's that's sometimes the difference. If you know, if Harry Kane was playing for Southampton, maybe they'd be where Spurs are right now, because uh, they're not a bad side, um, but they haven't got that clinical finisher, and um, you know, we, we we escaped. Well, you mentioned Charlie Adams there, and that reminds me of just one of the. One of the very few laugh out loud laugh out loud moments I've I've had when I've been listening to Holly the, Holt. the you know the Guardian the Guardian um, podcast with James Richardson when when James Richardson used to do it um, and uh, they were talking about Charlie Adams and he'd scored a worldie I think for for Liverpool uh, and um, it really was a worldie it was like just over the halfway line and it cracked it and it just went in like a rocket and so they were all debating the merits of um, you know, the skill involved. And uh, Richardson just said, well, either that or it's the kind of like lucky thing that could happen to a 47-year-old bricklayer from Dundee, <laughs> which was kind of, when you looked at it again, it was, it, 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 it did look more and more like a, like a hit and hope, but looked fantastic on, on, on video. It looked fantastic on TV. So uh, next up, guys, we've got the firecracker. Um, the filth. Let's talk about this one, Bernard. Yeah, I mean, it was, I think you started with the KDB uh, little chip, chip, didn't it? And obviously it was sort of chest. I can't remember the guy, the defender for Southampton, but he literally just chested it, chested it nicely for Phil Folden, who took it in his stride. And what, what I mean, some people have been denigrating this goal, saying anyone could score that, but he just hit it like an Exocet missile, didn't he? Just straight into that corner. And uh, we've seen this from Phil Foden before, and it was nice to see it again. He, he took it superbly. But again, from a, a Southampton error in defence, which uh, a lot of our good chances came from, fortunately for us, but uh, not good for them. But uh, brilliant, brilliantly taken. Forster, he's seven foot six, but he had no chance. he had no chance to get into that one. It was a beautiful goal, Colin Savage, wasn't it? It was a cracker. I mean, a, a, a bit of quality from a game that, that hadn't really shown a great deal of quality 
up to then. And, uh, it, you know, it was just the, the confidence and the uh, his ability to do that, which, um, you know, showed up some of his teammates, I think, who um, there was one with where Grealish had a great chance to score. It was slightly <laughs> awkward. Maybe it was slightly behind him. Yeah, I think he got under his feet, didn't it, a little bit. So yeah. he passed it to KDB. Who was marked by three men. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's a brilliant piece of work from Foden. It just cements his uh, reputation, doesn't it, as one of the most exciting talents in the world today. Ray, you've scored. A, you've probably scored a couple of goals like that in your in your, in your career. <laughs> in his dreams, yeah. Uh, I, I really don't think so. I think I scored. Uh, all I can remember, I scored one left foot shot from outside the box, which flew into the top corner. <laughs> uh, that, that was that was with my swinger because I, I didn't read. Really... Oh, please, hell, Mike, you started him off now, Mike. Come on, That's please. It. <laughs> I, 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 Mike, I, I, I was a fullback. I didn't score too many goals. Um, Surely, you know, an overlapping fullback, uh, though, Ray. Yeah, I, I, I was up and I was. I was. A, I told you a story. I was a fullback who played both wings. So when we attacked, I'd go <laughs> wherever I could. I would be, you know, I remember, you started me going now, I'm going to get this quick story. When it, I used to play veterans football, so that's in France, over 45s. And I remember I was playing left back. Well, and when had, you were 16. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, Grandpa, give it a rest. Um, and and uh, so I, I passed, I, I knocked this ball, the ball up to this guy who's a striker. And he was a lazy so-and-so. If the ball didn't go to his feet, he'd just whinge and complain and didn't he didn't chase it. It has to be played into feet. And anyway, I played this ball. I was on the left-hand side uh, across to him down at the middle. And he, went, he let it go. He, he didn't bother chasing it. And he went to the right. I ended up going to the right wing to get that ball. I was the one who chased it. I passed it to him. I remember crossing the ball once from the right wing for someone to score. And I'm a left-back. I, I was the young... I, to be honest, it was over 45. I was 45 or 46, so I was the youngest on the side. We had a guy in his 70s playing. Uh, he was all right, actually. Uh, <laughs> he, he, he could only play about 10-minute bursts. He would uh, play 10 or 15 minutes and go and have a rest and then come back on there. But, um, no, it's good good stuff. I, I you know, wish um, I hadn't given up the football. But, anyway, there was slightly um, more skill on display uh, at, uh, at St Mary's uh, um, at the weekend. Oh, Ray, you could have been a contender. You could have been a contender. <laughs> no, I well, couldn't. No, I couldn't. Honestly, um, honestly, say, honestly say, Mike, though, it was obviously fire drill time for the Southampton fans. And that one went in, that's for sure. That's right. Yeah. You were saying, actually, on your, on, your, on your channel there, there was like a mass exodus, like, you know. Absolutely, yeah. Unbelievable. It was like literally we're fighting each other to get out, putting the Vs up and <laughs> making various gestures to the City fans as they did so. But... Uh, yeah, as as he went marching out, which they didn't appreciate very much. But there you go. It was only three one, and then it was the seventy fifth minute. I mean, come on, oh, where's well, the, the <laughs> British bulldog spirit? But anyway, um, they were probably right half of them because the most of them who had started uh, heading down uh, the tunnel and out of the out of the stadium, um, they must have heard the roar three minutes later because Mares. Uh, he uh, done and gone and put the put the gloss on it, Colin. Yeah, uh, he, yeah. In fact, he had his boots on the right feet this time, uh, uh -huh. and of course, it was his um, right foot, wasn't it? Not not his left. 
Great Same. pass from Cancelo to, into Gundogan, I think, wasn't it? It was a brilliant pass from Cancelo to Gundogan. And Amaras, he's just so cool, isn't he? I mean, he gets that goal in his sights and he just, you know, generally knows what to do. And what was brilliant about it was, I think everyone thought he was going to go for the far corner and that's the way Forster was kind of leading himself. And he just adjusted his body and uh, put it in the uh, inside the near post, uh, leaving Forster completely flat-footed. Brilliant piece of... Brilliant. He did it with his eyes, didn't he? He did it with his... Everybody was expecting that. He did it with his eyes. He looked at the far corner yeah. and then dragged it with his left foot into the... Give him the, the, eye. Give him the eye. Yeah, well, at least it meant that, um, you know, Ralph Hassan the Hoodle could... Uh, get off to that wedding earlier than he thought. But uh, <laughs> on, on the 83rd minute, you know, you've got to explain to me the, the, the psychology of this one. 83rd minute, um, three changes for City. And, and Ake, Fernandinho and Zinchenko come on for Cancelo Rodri. And Laporte, the thinking behind that is what exactly, uh, Ray? <laughs> I was thinking, don't ask me, because <laughs> I have no idea. Um, I, I don't know. Got... Sorry? Any suggestions? I, I, I'll defer to uh, Colin and Bernard. All right. Let's go to Bernard. He's got sick of people telling me he don't make five substitutions, so he wanted to make sure he got his five substitutions in, so we can't pick on him. Simple as that. <laughs> okay. Any ideas, Colin? None whatsoever. All right. Okay. Well, it's lucky we're not um, million-pound football managers. Um, well, that's yeah. why we're sat. That's why we are sat here with you, yeah. Mike. Uh, yeah. Rather than you know, sat in Pep's office. Yeah, yeah. Computer football manager, maybe. Was there a was there a chance for a fifth? Do you think? Yeah, Mares had a good chance, and then Sterling had a great chance, and he had I don't know what he did. He went to head it and totally missed the flipping thing in the, about you know in the 89th, 90th minute. Uh, but Mares and Sterling both had very good chances to to make it five one. Mm -hmm. There you go. Two minutes of added time, uh, and that was it. Any any other comments that you'd like to make about this game, guys? Before we move on. Wembley, 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 Wembley. Well, I suppose on the subject of Wembley, Bernard, um, mm. it's going to be difficult for you to um, to get uh, for, for for anybody to get down there. Apparently, is that right? Well, if you're going on a train, yeah, there's no trains, is there? Apparently, uh, this is what we've heard. Okay. So obviously, we've been told by the FA to reduce our carbon footprint uh, as fans. Uh, there's a good one. So uh, yeah, obviously, we'll all be going down it's, in cars. It's a nightmare, <laughs> isn't it? Because I I, I drove down um, on Sunday. I, I couldn't go to the game because I was working uh, in North London, and with the price of um, you know fuel at the moment, it cost me ninety quid to go there and back 90 yeah. quid in the car it's just a, you know ridiculous uh, these days and it used to cost like you know it doesn't feel like long ago it was costing like between 50 and 60 quid and it's just got it's getting to be so expensive and you know you obviously you got to park somewhere or, or whatever um and with no trains what 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 are people supposed to do and it's, it's ridiculous that it's in london we've, we've been you know, fans have complained about it for years because, let's be honest, you know, you've got top clubs um, up north like Liverpool and, and, and City and some other ones that are lucky enough to get there occasionally, like Man United. Um, but, you know, we, it, it, semi-finals shouldn't be at Wembley. We know why it's there. It's for the money. 
you know, you get 90,000 fans paying, you know, a lot of money to, to go. Um, and they, they generally sell out. Um, you know, they do very, very well, the semi-finals and the final. It's just about money. And it's it's a shame because, you know, even though City and, and Liverpool fans wouldn't want to play Old Trafford, they do it. They, you know, reluctantly go there. It's in Manchester. Come on. Um, you know, it's not hard for the Liverpool fans to get here and the City fans it's the it's the right call it's the right place to play that game and it's stupid it really is stupid that it's going to be down in London it, you know people as usual going to have to stay over it's just not fair on the fans you're going to pay all that money to get there probably drive or how else can you get there and, and stay overnight as well it's crazy yeah. I remember that. I remember the classic semi-finals at Main Road, like there's it old Oldham, Oldham yeah. against United and Liverpool against Everton at Main Road, you know, replays and stuff. These the fantastic games. I mean, it'd be, you know, it's great to have stuff like that. And even Old Trafford would probably put an half decent job up if we could have one there. I know it's it's a horrible place, but uh, yeah, why why not? But as we say, we know we know as Ray said, we know why. Will you be at this one, Bernard? Well, I hope so. Yeah, I mean, I should imagine so. We we always struggle to sell out anyway, don't we? So, uh, well, my only problem is my lad's not in the cup scheme, so I have to sort of keep an eye on it because I want to get tickets together. So I have to make sure uh, that it don't get too low. But I think we'll be fine. We'll be fine for the semi. We get a few more for the semi as well, don't we? And uh, we we always we don't exactly sell out very quickly, do we, lads? So uh, I, yeah, I think yeah. it should be. Fine. I'm open. They haven't given the dates yet, have they? For the no, not yet. I'm hoping it's. I'm working on Saturday, so I'm hoping it's Easter Sunday. It's probably going to be the Sunday, isn't it? Because we're playing on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. No, they probably do us again, won't they? Well, uh, what we're about the Wednesday before, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's uh, going to be a fairly packed schedule, guys. Do, in April, we have actually eight games, if I'm counting this correctly. Uh, it's absolutely insane month. Um, Colin, this uh, semi-final. Um, Will you be go? Will you be heading for that one? Any plans for this one? Uh, sorry, will I be heading to the semi-final? Uh, yeah, yeah, I so. yep. um, yeah. I've already been. I, I normally stay over anyway for for the Wembley games. It's, well, most of the time anyway. I I don't think I did when I when when I picked you up, did I? But um, normally stay down somewhere off the M40 and get the train right into Wembley Stadium. So yeah, um, yeah, I'll probably do that again. Your your, your usual your usual hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's getting a bit yeah uh, it's getting a bit the usual isn't it so uh yeah it's uh because it's easter weekend so there's no need to rush back so i'll probably travel assuming the game will be on the sunday i'll probably travel down saturday afternoon evening uh and then i can relax after the game on sunday and uh travel back monday without losing a day of my holidays uh okay well let's just uh stick with um you Colin, just for a second a couple of final items that I have on my list, and uh, let me see if I can get this uh, pronunciation right. The Deloitte um, yep. uh, figures for um, for the richest clubs in, um, in in I think it's in world football, not just uh, British football. Yep. So yeah, um, what do we yeah. learn? That? Deloitte Sports Group do this. They call it the rich list, but it's it's just revenue. You know, so they just take the revenue uh, that all the clubs have reported and they put out a, a, a top 20. Um, you know, it, it's not uh, mind-blowing financial analysis, but it, it's an interesting one. And of course, uh, what you're going to say is, of course, we're, we're top with all the 2021 accounts out. 
we're um, top of the rich list. Now, there are reasons reasons for that. Um, and, and basically, well, there are a number of reasons why I think we're top this particular year, which, which there are a set of circumstances which probably won't be repeating. But um, we're normally about fourth or fifth in that list anyway. But if you, 2021, there, there were a number of factors. So money was held back from the previous season by, by both uh, the Premier League, because obviously the season was um, kind of postponed, and then by UEFA, who um, called off the Champions League until after the financial year end. So a lot of the money, we well, a lot of the money, uh, about probably about, uh, let's see, about 20%, 25% of the money we would have got in the 2020 financial year was held back to the 2021 financial year. So obviously that affected all Premier League clubs anyway, and it also affected any club that was still in the Champions League when the competition was uh, abandoned for, for, for lockdown. So th there was that element of it. The second is, in, obviously, in 2021, we got to the Champions League final. And for an English club, that brings in a lot of money. So I think we probably made over £100 million from just getting to the final uh, alone because we'd gone through as... Um, no, we hadn't gone through as champions, had we, into that competition. But, um, but yeah, we, we, made, we made a lot of money. Uh, and obviously... Um, United went out early. Liverpool went out early. Um, Chelsea were in the final. So, so United, our big competitor, they lost a lot of money by not by, by going out so early. Um, now, the third thing is, of course, it was a season where there was no match day revenue, so no tickets sold. Now, you, you say, well, well, how does that help us? Well, actually. Um, we've probably got the lowest match. We certainly got the lowest match day revenue of all the English clubs. Uh, I'm not sure off the top of my head what what Real Madrid's or uh, Bayern's is, but by losing that money, they they probably it probably impacted the other clubs more than it impacted us. So I mean, United, for example, their their match day income's about uh, double ours, 110 million compared to our 55 million. So, you know, you, you add that back into the mix and, and, and it's a, a slightly different picture, though. I think we, we still would have come out on top in, in a normal really, season, despite that. Sorry, Colin. So, I think yeah. only, it's about 108 million, I'm reading. Yeah, uh, it's about 110, 100 to 110 million, depending on how many games they play. So, uh, you know, uh, that it's not... Obviously, we have the, the positive benefits of getting the, the residue of the Champions League, Premier League money from 2020 we had the positive effect of getting uh to the final of the champions league even though we didn't win it still brings in a fair amount of money uh and we had the negative effect if you like of of, of losing less money than than probably the other clubs did and did the puma deal kick in as well I sorry think. didn't the puma uh, deal kick in uh, as well uh, no i think that came in 2020 didn't it Well, it'll still be a, it would still be applying though, well, wouldn't well, it? Few, yeah, the deal would have kicked in then. But yeah, we. Um, I say, so it's difficult to. It, it's always difficult to say because it, it, it's very dependent on 
Champions League, uh, relative Champions League. And, and English clubs that get to the final or get to the latter stages will always get more money than, say, the Spanish clubs uh, or the German clubs because we've got a better um, TV deal. So um, will it be repeated 2022? I don't know. Uh, obviously, uh, match day revenue will kick back in. But I know in some countries, in Spain, or Spain or Germany, I think, they've still not got full stadiums, have they? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I tell you what, guys. Um, it's spoiled, spoiled some piss, hasn't it? Indeed, it has. And that that was the main value of it for me. But uh, let's well, just, let's, let's just I mean, take a look. Us, uh, I mean, it doesn't say how rich you are. No. But... Yeah, as as you said, it's in, it's income really, income. not anything yes. else. Income. Let's let's have a let's have a look at our April, and uh, we'll go to Bernard and and. Uh, I'm not going to ask you for predictions exactly, Bernard, but um, just uh, what kind of a scenario you, you you see coming out of this April. So we've got we've got Burnley on the second of April, um, um, away when we come um, when we come back. Uh, three days later, obviously, then Atletico Madrid um, at home. Then in the Premier League, at home to Liverpool. And then away to um, Atletico Madrid, then the, the FA Cup semi-final that we talked about. Then uh, you would think that would be enough for for April, but no. Then we've got a home game, home game against Brighton, another home game against Watford, and then away to Leeds United. All of those in April. That's an incredible schedule, isn't it? Well, it's, it's pretty scary, guys, isn't it? I mean, obviously. I'm looking at Leeds Liverpool games, the two games against Liverpool, and you know I'm thinking because it was so tight between us. I mean, there's no, you know, I think we're going to at least lose one of those two, and I'm trying to think which one of those two would I want to lose uh, if it comes to it. You know, it'd be great to win them both, of course it was, but we have to be realistic as to how City are playing at the moment, and we also have to be realistic as to the Burnley game, as to what Pep's going to do. Is he? You know, for me, he can't afford to think uh, too much about Atletico coming up after it. But, you know, he will. Uh, but we need to win that Burnley game as well. Because at the end of the day, we'll, go, we'll probably go into that Burnley game, I believe, in second spot. Because I think Liverpool play before us, guys. I think I think that's correct. So mm-hmm. psychologically, we'll be in second spot, which is, you know, not unusual for us. But we're not usually been in this position where we've been top for so long, so early in the season, you know, from Christmas time. So... It is a funny one, isn't it? And I, I just I do worry about the Atletico influence on the Burnleys. And as I said, I just can't I can't see us and Liverpool both winning both games. You know, we could get a draw and a win or something like that. But hey, I, you know, I'm sort of being a little bit negative and thinking we're, we're going to win one each. And which of those two <laughs> do I want us to win? I would I would possibly say the Premier League one, but. <laughs> that puts us out of the FA Cup, unfortunately. I don't know what you guys think, but it is a, it's a hell of a hell of a, an early April, isn't it? April. I'm not too worried about the Brighton, Watford, and Leeds just yet. I'm more worried about the first uh, five games of the month. I mean, for me, we you got to go. Uh, and you're right, Bernard. I, I can't believe Pep is going to do the right thing. I think the the right thing is to put your best team out against Burnley. Make sure you beat them. That's it. You're playing a home, away from home. Burnley are fighting for their lives. Yeah, mm. fighting like beavers for their lives. You might remember that comment. That's from Cammy. But they're fighting for their lives. To, uh, and 
were away from home. They, they, they've not generally been thrashed by uh, many teams this season. Their goal difference is the best of the teams at the bottom. So, you know, it's not... They're not far away from being safe. I mean, OK, they're down in 19th. But a, a win gets them one point behind Everton. I mean, Leeds, for instance, the nine, uh, Leeds are, I think, eight points ahead of uh, Burnley, but Burnley got three games in hand. So they need anything, even a point against City, they'd be happy with. Um, so, But I, I just can't see Pep, the way he's done it in the past, I can't see him putting out the best team. And as Bernard says, that, that's you've just got to play each game as it comes. You know, you've got to put your best team out and then go again for the next game. And yes, it's only three days away, but it's at home. I, th- I think that's the only good thing is the Burnley game, obviously, it's away, but it's not far away. You, you're an hour from home. And the Atletico game is at home. Uh, and then the Liverpool game is at home. So I think that's only na- slight benefit. You, sometimes you are looking for those fine margins. Um, mm-hmm. So just go for it. Go for that that first game. And, you know, I said it last 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 week or when we spoke on Friday. Uh, was it Friday after the draw or um, Friday or Saturday, whenever it was? And, and I said, uh, you know, realistically, you've got to see yourself beating Atletico Madrid over two legs. Um, and if you can't, you don't deserve to go through. So we've got the opportunity. And, yeah, it's a bit of a bummer because, you know, um, we play the second leg against Atletico three days after we play against Liverpool. And I just don't want Pep thinking about the wrong things. Liverpool are very fortunate, I think, to be playing Benfica. Um, uh, I think that's going to really, really help them. But it's it's a frightening uh, couple of weeks. Burnley, uh, Atletico, Liverpool, Atletico and Liverpool again. Frightening. Mm-hmm. Then uh, Brighton, Watford, and um, and uh, and Leeds as well. Um, four home games, five if you count Eddie Eddie had South, as someone reminded me on, on Twitter. But uh, yeah, what, what or, or is, or is, sorry, it's Anfield South, isn't it, guys? I think we know uh, now, isn't it? <laughs> uh, they have uh, the naming rights. Uh, <laughs> what do you, what do you think about this uh, particular month, Colin? Well, you know. Uh, as I said to someone the other day, um, it, it, it's an incredible month. But these are the sort of games you live for. These are the sort of moments you live for. These are, you know, these are the sort of situations which test your metal as a club. If you want to win things, uh, th- these are the sort of months you're going to have, aren't they? We've seen it before. Um, it, it's certainly better than sweating over getting forty points, isn't it? <laughs> uh, it certainly, certainly is. Um, guys, let's. Uh, I'm just going to take a look at Liverpool's uh, April. Okay, so they uh, kick off on the second of April uh, with a home game against Watford, and then right. they've got, then they're um, they're away to Benfica three days later, and then they've got us obviously at the Etihad on the tenth, and then they've got the home game against Benfica. And then they've got us in the FA Cup. Then they've got Manchester United uh, in the uh, in the Premier League, followed up by the uh, Merseyside Derby. Is at uh, Anfield, uh, finishing off with an away game to Newcastle. How does that compare? Can I say something about that? Because the Watford game, 
you'd expect Liverpool to, to swap them aside. They've got Benfica. Then they've got five days before they play against us. Five days. Um, and you'd expect them to probably do Benfica in Portugal enough not to worry about the second leg. That's what I'm expecting. So it's even though it's only a quick turnaround, I think Benfica are a much easier proposition than Atletico Madrid. After they play that Benfica game, it's what is going to be interesting is that FA Cup semi-final. It's going to be either the 16th or the 17th of April. Okay, I think it's going to be the 16th. I've got this feeling because you know, Liverpool are playing again on the 19th of April against United. Now, I'm just trying to work out what will happen. And then the Everton game is five days. Let's say, could they put the United game back one day? Um, um, or could the City game be on the 16th rather than the 17th? So, you know, I, I think whatever happens, it will favour Liverpool. They'll move something around. They'll get an extra day or two um, to help them. Um, but to be honest, we said it last week, I don't see where they're dropping too many points. You know, people, some people said, oh, no, United will... United won't do anything. United got battered at home. Uh, you know, they're getting battered left, right and centre. I don't see United doing anything, any damage to Liverpool. I don't see Everton, even though it's a Merseyside derby, doing anything to Liverpool. Um, you've got to hope that the games against Newcastle, Spurs, uh, Southampton and Wolves, the testing ones, and obviously Liverpool in the, should be in the semi-finals of the Champions League, that's going to have some impact, I think, depends who they're playing. If they play, uh, we're expecting them to play against Bayern Munich, that might be in Klopp's mind. And obviously, it depends on what happens against City. If City beat Liverpool in the league, then maybe Klopp, I wouldn't say gives up, but you know, prioritises the Champions League. And, um, you know, for me, I just want to win that league game. I think winning that league game really sets us up. Yeah, I think you're probably uh, probably right there. Um, and just another thing to, to keep your eye on, and there's been quite a lot of articles about Atletico Madrid and their skill at time-wasting. And in fact, um, obviously, this is a, um, Ralph Rangnick obviously complaining about this. I, I, I'm sure that it wasn't all total deflection, but it, there, there were several examples of this. They seem to have retained that skill to such an effect that... Uh, Diego Simeone got bottled um, whenever he was going down the tunnel. And apparently it wasn't because he didn't shake uh, Rangnick's hand. It was because of all of these uh, time-wasting tactics that the referee let them get away with. So something to keep something to keep your eye on maybe in those games. But um, I think that's pretty much all I have on my piece of paper that's of any real um, you know, particular interest. So, any other business, guys? Before we finish here, was there, was there something about the sheik you were saying, uh, Mike? Before I, I did, I wondered whether or not to get into it too much. But um, yeah, City, uh, the, the the club, obviously the City Group, getting quite a lot of flack because apparently uh, Sheikh Mansour had a meeting with um, Al Assad, the uh, the Syrian leader, um, and I'm not exactly sure. Um, what the uh, what the big issue was, um, but um, maybe you can enlighten me. Why did that get so much so much uh, col- column space? Um, Bashar al-Assad is, um, I think, almost universally known as a pretty uh, bad guy, um, and Syria have been basically from from for most of the world been put out in the cold, and this. 
seems to signal a willingness to strengthen ties with Syria again. You know, ha- having this trip after 11 years, I think. Um, so it's the first trip to the UAE. So the the, the foreign office have said that they said that words were such meetings undermine the prospects of peace in Syria. Uh, so they've criticised it. Um, and Jonathan Hargreaves, the UK special representative for Syria, posted on Twitter, after 11 years of conflict, Assad's unreformed and unrepentant regime continues to commit atrocities against the Syrian people. Without changes in behaviour, engagement only serves to undermine collective efforts to encourage Assad to participate in the UN-facilitated political process in good faith. So basically, you know, after all the fallout for, with Chelsea, Abramovich and Putin, all the um, grief uh, on the fallout with the Saudi takeover of Newcastle. Uh, obviously, the natural thing for them to look at is, is Manchester City. I mean, we've had a, plenty, a plethora of journalists uh, having a go at Man City ever since we, not since we got the money, ever since we started, you know, n- um, basically knocking the Man United, Liverpool and Chelsea around. Since City started, when we first got the money, People laughed at us because we, you know, we did some silly things by buying Rocky Santa Cruz for about 18 million quid when the guy was injured. Uh, he's got about two goals for us. Buying people like Wayne Bridge, who really weren't top class, and you know, teams were happy to get rid of their uh, their deadwood to us. So people laughed at us, and as soon as we started winning, the narrative changed, and then it's you've got this the human rights issue. So people are really having a, a a go, and they think it's an opportunity now. After what's happened to Abramovich, to look at the fit and proper uh, person test, and and um, Labour MP Chris Bryant, he he said, you know, he questioned whether Shipman uh, was a fit and proper person to be owning a football club. So this there could end up being some pressure, and you know, we, I think most City fans and most football fans in general didn't expect anything to happen to City and, and with Shipman Sewer. We just thought we were would be you know fine to keep going. But you never know, you know, the the wind is changing. But without getting too political, there's a lot of bad people out there. Uh, a lot of bad people that, uh, not just in, in the Middle East, around the world. And there's a lot of bad people that other bad people do business with. Uh, and it's just, you know, it, it, it depends who's speaking uh, at the time. Uh, as to who's the bad person and who's a goodie. You know, one day someone's a, a close friend and ally that we do business with. The next day, they're um, terrorists or, or whatever. So I think it all depends on who's doing the shouting. But it doesn't look it doesn't look good, which is fair enough. But as I said, I think there's a lot of bad people out there who've got a lot of money. Uh, I, I think most people don't get a lot of money without doing something a little bit uh, untoward. Yeah, let's ask Colin. Colin, did you acquire your billions uh, completely honestly? Well, it's you know it's not a good look, is it? But our own Queen's given a state visit to uh, Bashar al-Assad. Uh, well, before the Syrian civil war, but it was known what what his father was like, and there was a brief period uh, early in his reign, about that early two thousands, when it looked like he might be a bit of a a, a reformer. But um, he, st- he seems to have been sucked into the Iran uh, Hezbollah access. Um, of course, the Syrian civil war kicked off as part of the, the whole Arab Spring movement. Uh, he brutally put down the protests. 
the civil war erupted um and, and of course it's been a, a you know horrific scenes of brutality humanitarian issues in syria since then so there's no condoning that whatsoever but there is actually uh, what what all the um, all the all the kind of anti city people tweeting about missed was there's a big un push to um, manage the humanitarian side of this and and um, there's a big belief in the arab world that rather than leave rather than have the western powers intervene which of course has has um, you know Western powers intervening, what could possibly go wrong, you know, in the Middle East? Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, we've nothing to be proud of in Syria. Uh, If, uh, and and I say, what we know is the UAE is definitely not part of the Iranian axis. So what we don't know is why why this meeting took place. But the only man who can sort the problem out is Assad. You know, you've got to talk to him, however unpalatable. He is as a human being, as a as, as a ruler. A, he's still the well, legitimate um, president of Syria, despite what you know, despite what everyone thinks. And, and secondly, um, in that situation, he he still holds sway, brutal sway over quite uh, over about seventy percent, seventy five percent of Syria. Um, the Turks have invaded northern Syria, so you could you could perhaps provide an analogy with the Turkish occupation of northern Syria with the Russian uh, movement in eastern Ukraine. Mm. And I'm not saying, you know, the Turks are brutal invaders, but, you know, you've got to kind of, you know, we we have this thing, don't we, in the West that we look at. It's the whole issue about looking at cities' owners. We, we, We look at Arabs, we look at the Middle East, and they're all evil. You know, they're all, you know, um, they're all kind of no good nicks or whatever you want to call them. And, and um, you know, they're not capable of, of, of running their own countries. And, you know, yes, Assad is, is, is probably the worst case at the moment of, of a leader in that area. But you've got to kind of remember that when we deposed the Saddam Hussein, when we deposed Gaddafi, their country is descended into chaos. Lebanon has descended into political chaos, political and economic chaos. Syria, uh, I think, however impalatable it is, you've kind of got to not not support, but got to accept that you know Assad runs Syria, and you know obviously it doesn't run it very well. I'm sure that the vast majority of Syrians would rather it was. Well, all Syrians are rather good. It was peaceful. It's always been an uneasy thing in Syria because um, I don't want to give a history lesson, but you know, post First World War, the British and French were, were the were the dominant colonial powers in the area, and, and there was um, something called the Sykes Picot Agreement that was secretly negotiated between the British and French that that basically divided up the Middle East into areas of influence, and Syria fell into the French camp. Um, and Iraq, for example, fell into the British camp. So, so literally, there's a great book by um, what's his name, James Barr, I think, called "A Line in the Sand," which explains it all in great, convincing detail. But you know, th- th- these countries were set up without any regard to the kind of tribal loyalties. Um, so, so, you know, a load of different competing groups, clans, tribes, whatever you want to call them, um, 
religious affiliations were pitched in together. Now, uh, Assad, uh, Syria is majority Sunni um, Muslim, I believe, but the Assad's a part, a part of a kind of less, um, I don't know, less religious, but a tribe called the Alawites, uh, and they're very much a minority in, in Syria. So, it, you know, it's a bit like, I don't know, uh, try, try and think. Well, it, it, you know, it's a bit like the, the white rule of um, South Africa, where, when the whites were a minority in the apartheid era. So, you know, it, it, it's always been a tense situation in Syria. Uh, and, and as we've seen in other countries, when, when you take the lid off, you know, it doesn't help. Um, and I actually think, ironically, I think one of the things that Vladimir Putin got right was to support the regime because that is the best, probably the best hope for stability in the region. Because what region, what you don't want is is it splintering like Libya, like Iraq, into a set of um, warring factions, m m many of whom are, you know, quite violent, quite fundamentalist, and you know, who knows what that, you know, what that leads to. Um, I don't know. So a, a bit of a rant that, but um, you know. The end of it, that the UN, the Arab world, is looking to try and establish some sort of, well, I, I hesitate the word normality, but there's a huge effort for the Arab world to sort out its problems, starting in uh, humanitarian issues in Syria. So if if by that meeting the situation gets better for the vast majority of Syrian people living through that awful situation they're living through, then it will have been a useful meeting. And we don't know what to discuss, but we're pretty sure you can be pretty sure it was around the UN move to try and do something about the humanitarian situation. So, again, you know, people jumping on the bandwagon without really understanding detailed geopolitics. So sorry to have bored everyone, but um, that's the situation. Yeah, it's not a good look. But if something comes out of it, you know, we've negotiated with the IRA in our time. We, um, all sorts of people we've had through. Um, Buckingham Palace doors on state visits. A, uh, we had um, Ceausescu's from Romania. It, you know, everyone knew what they were like, uh, uh, and um, the Queen was bounced into accepting on the state visit. And it's a great story that she was walking the corgis through the grounds of uh, Booking, the gardens of Buckingham Palace, uh, saw the saw the Ceausescu's heading in the, the direction, and she hid in a bush rather than uh, engage with them. Um, Didn't we have Pinochet over as well? Pinochet. I don't know, don't know if he got a state visit. Obviously, Margaret Thatcher supported him. We've yeah. had the Chinese. We've had Trump. We've had Assad. We've had the, we've had the we've Chinese had where we, we, we stopped people we've protesting. We've had the guy from the Congo. Um, forget his name. Uh, Seseko, is it? You know, all of these, we know what they've, we, we know what they've been like. And there's been all the, you know, all the talks behind the scenes, usually carried out by third parties or... By our own intelligence agencies, with um, with groups that we have said officially we wouldn't have any uh, discussion with. So um, you know, it, well, nothing may come out of it. Mm -hmm. But at least I'd rather someone tried than, than just stood by and let it happen. Well, guys, I hope that that, um, that gave you a little bit of an insight uh, into why there has been such. Um, um, speculation about uh, that particular photograph that was doing the rounds with um, uh, Mansour and, and, and Al-Assad and, and it, it explained to you a little bit 
uh, about the background of what's going on there. What's the name of that book um, that you mentioned, uh, Colin, one more time? A, a Line in the Sand. A Line uh, in the Sand. Okay. Very, very detailed. Let me, I think the author, I, I, um, um, I think the author was, his name was Barr. I think I'm getting confused with the American uh, Attorney General. Uh, pretty much the same name. Not Rod Dunbar. No. Let me see. Just check. It is James Barr. Yes. Yes, I've had some correspondence with him. Um, yeah, no, that, that that sounds like a very interesting read. And, it, and if nothing else, guys, um, you can um, <clears throat> you can fact check people like uh, Miguel Delaney if um, if you're not already blocked by him, which I am. So unfortunately, um, I'll not be able to uh, get into that uh, with him. But um, Anyway, guys, I think that'll probably do us. Um, we've gone a good long stretch today. Um, but then again, we are off for the next uh, two weeks. Um, uh, and uh, if we can do some small little things uh, in the interim, um, we'll let you know about them. But I think it's time to let the guys go. So let's start off with uh, Bernard and say, Bernard, thank you very, very much for coming along. Oh, it's a pleasure, mate. It's great to chat with you guys and uh, chat after another wonderful city victory. Indeed. Thank you very much, Ray. I uh, I echo Bernard's uh, uh, words. Um, we won. We're in the semi-finals. We're off to Wembley. We're in the semi-finals. Thank you very much, Colin Savage. It's a pleasure. I say I'm sorry for the history ramp, but, um, you know, it, 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 I think it's needed sometimes to counter the simplistic. And, and, and in general, you know, they'll use any lever to, to yeah. hit us, won't they? Absolutely, absolutely. No, I thought it was very, very important insights there. So we'll leave it there, guys. And as I said, we'll be back with you as soon as we can be. So we'll finish off in the normal way by saying have one on us and up the blues.